Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well, man. You went up to youth practice on Monday. No availability yesterday. Uh, They'll have it again today. Going to be in the stadium today. Correct. And you spoke to a guy that I think everybody's curious about because with Manny Bowen leaving the team, Trenton Carlson, the J.C. transfer from Ventura, Kyle Winningham made a point, and he was kind of almost talking to himself like, oh, good thing we picked him up because uh, they're going to need the depth of linebacker. Whether he ends up – where he ends up on the depth chart remains to be seen, but he's going to be somewhere where he's going to be needed. So you went up to uh, talk to him. What, what was the immediate uh, reaction? I know you talked a little Kyle about his backstory too. Yeah, I think as a junior college kid, he's a mature kid, and – you know, he did his research. He said he got recruited a little later, started getting offers, and he really felt like, you know, Utah's defense is a place where they send guys to the NFL. Everybody has an NFL dream, whether it's realized. Most of often the dream is not realized, but, you know, you're thinking that until they tell you you're not good enough. You dream of it. And so he knows Utah's defense is good. And then on top of that, he has this opportunity to play at least – receive a fair amount of reps in practice so you got a chance whether you actually get out there and do your thing remains to be seen but what you want when you get all these numbers in there sometimes it's hard to get a chance and at least with the situation with Bowen leaving the team this kid Carlson is going to get a chance to show what he can do and then it's up to him to prove what he can do and we've seen stories like this all the time you get you get in there and then away you go and you have an opportunity and they're not a dime a dozen I wouldn't say that but we've seen guys who get opportunities to play and seize the opportunity and become significant contributors even if they were lightly recruited or whatever it might be Steve Young seventh string quarterback to NFL MVP uh, that might be the extreme Hall <laughs> that of Fame is extreme. no less yeah. right yeah you know, so. We're not projecting that, but they need bodies. And he was a kid who came along in May, and uh, according to Kyle, he was the kid was more of a defensive end in junior college. And each level you have that you go down, not up, but down. You can have smaller kids play the position. Well, once each level you move up, they have to have a certain size and prototype, and so you can't have a you know a two hundred and fifteen pound defensive end. You can if you want to get your butt kicked. But you might be able to get by with that at a junior college oh, absolutely. level, I and totally get high school your, level, and all that type totally of thing. Totally get what you mean. You got to have the measurables. Yeah. And so, obviously, with Utah's front seven, you know, that size, he's going to be a linebacker. But he's a th- it looks like he's a third or fourth linebacker. They play two linebackers all the time, they play the three linebackers in some situations. Well, interesting that they might – I think they might play three linebackers more this year because the l- last year, for instance, they could take – a Chase Hansen, or two years ago, they could take a Chase Hansen and move him down when he was back at safety. Or you know, he the linebackers they he had was a last wild card. year had such versatility. Yeah, his wild card. And so Francis Bernard got out on the field right. more than what you would consider a well, backup would be out on the field. He played He played when they were in the 4-3, and then he played when either Barton or Cody Barton or Chase Hansen uh, needed a series off. And then he, I think he had some special teams, too. So there were plenty of opportunities for him to get in. And as a third or fourth string guy, there can be an injury in front of you. So, you know, there could be a chance. And plus, you just need guys to practice, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. 
Here's Trenton Carlson, transfer, JC linebacker from Ventura with PK on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. I understand that you were recruited with the idea of having some linebacker depth, but obviously they had a situation where a linebacker has left, so that moves you up a little bit. I imagine that makes you very excited. Uh, yeah, it's always always good opportunity to come up and play right away. And even before, just always looking to, to get like starting reps in and always preparing to be a starter. So you're down there from Ventura, and you commit in May. What was going on there? That's a little norm. That's a little later than normal. Yeah. So I had a lot of uh, recruitment come late. So I had a lot of offers come in late, and so I just had to make my decision fast. And right after I committed, I flew down here within like the next week and started practicing. So you have offers, and then you obviously choose Utah. What led you to choose the Utes? Uh, the coaches, the people, the players here. Uh, I just like the culture uh, around Utah football. Had you had any connection to it before? Uh, no connection. Um, I mean, I guess it's pretty close to home, but besides that, no really connection. To so Utah. no no co-assistant coaches or anybody down in Ventura? Nope. And now you played, uh, did you play linebacker in Ventura or did you move around? Uh, I moved around, but I played mostly linebacker, but I also did play uh, a little bit of kind of like a stud position where I'd rush off the edge and become a pass rusher. Uh, and they didn't when they came here when you came here and met with them. What did they view you as your position? Uh, Mac inside linebacker. Uh, that's what they recruited me as. And so that's a different position. Do you have experience with it? Uh, yeah, I've, I've experienced that position. And, uh, what's the difference then for you? Uh, not much. Just just go make plays off the ball. It's pretty much the same thing. Uh, either coming off the edge or being in the backfield and then just tracking the ball. How about pass coverage? Would we be doing much of that? Uh, yeah, yeah, doing a lot, of, a lot of man and a lot of zone drops. How much did you know the most recent tradition with Utah? Because they had, especially this last season, they had a couple of real stud linebackers, both of them trying to make it in the NFL. Were you aware of that at all? Uh, wait, one more time. Barton and Hanson, you know, they had, a, they were really good linebackers, yeah. and they, and they were developed here. How much did that play in your decision to come here? That the developing guys and allowing them to flourish. Oh, yes. I saw that they both uh, had a good shot to get picked up, and that did play a big part of coming in here. So I was obviously want to go to the next level, and that's the ultimate goal. So it was good to see that they've developed players to go in the league at right. my position. How much are you in? About 233. Is that good enough? Uh, yeah, I want to be around 235. It's around that weight, it's plus, plus a few pounds or minus a few pounds. Uh-huh. So also, too, you're coming here to a team that's picked to win the South, and pick to win the Rose Bowl. Well, how much did that factor into your decision to come here knowing that you know you were going to be stepping into a team that is, has high expectations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good part of it too. And also just the Utah football is known for their defense. So just being on a defensive team instead of compared to like going to like maybe the like Big 12 where they're mm-hmm. offensive oriented and to like they just score a lot of points right. and still win games by, by putting, like getting 35 scored yeah. on them. So you followed then, you were aware of what Utah football program was about, even though you had no connection to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with that in mind, as you try to make your mark here, it's been you know, just about uh, a little shy of a week. How's it been going? Uh, pretty good. Just getting better every day. Uh, just got to keep keep getting the playbook, learning it better, and just keep improving. I, also, too, they had a new linebacker coach, so I don't want to say that everybody was starting from scratch. But he had no history here, obviously, hadn't coached here in Swan. 
Did that play into your decision that maybe, you know, there wouldn't be uh, favorites or whatnot? Everybody would be treated equally since he's new? Uh, not, not really that he's new. I, I, I just based it off how, how I liked him as a person, as a coach. So it, it did not really have a factor that he was new, but just that I, I liked him as a coach and a person. So he was already here before you made your decision? Yeah, yeah. He was the one that actually uh, first flew down, and that's the first person I ever met from Utah. It was him. I'm sure you used to win it, and I used to live down there. Ventura is still a pretty good program? Yeah, yeah. This, this should be really good. We went to the state last year, but lost, came a little short. Uh, this should be pretty good this year. Should go back to the championship. So are you a, uh, we'll call that Southern California still. Are you Southern California native? Oh, yeah, yeah, Southern California. Mm-hmm. Where, were you, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Los Angeles County, but then I, I moved down to Ventura and lived there most of my life. Okay, did you grow up a fan of either of those Pac-12 schools there? Uh, I actually grew up a fan of SC, so. SC? Yeah, huh? <laughs> well, I'll get to play them, though. Uh-huh. Why were you a fan of SC, just because they won? Uh, yeah, just growing up, just watching Reggie Bush and all of them. Yeah. They were just exciting to watch. Yeah. And, uh just was a fan ever since. since Plus, that's where all the rich kids go, right? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now here you're going to be having the opportunity. What's that, your fourth game, Friday night, uh, big-time television in the Coliseum. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Definitely excited to be able to play in the Coliseum. That's definitely a dream come true. And I imagine your family. Mm, yeah, they'll be there. And then what do you think about your fandom there? How's that going to work? Uh, your fandom for SC, how's that going to work? Uh, I mean, it should be good. Uh, <laughs> Forget that, you're Utah now. Uh-huh. How have the other guys, the teammates on your uh, linebacking core, whether it's uh, Francis Bernard, whether it's uh, Lloyd or whatnot, how, how have they gone about helping you to make the transition a little quicker? Uh, yeah, they've definitely gone in extra hours and helped me watch film and, and break down the defense and really try to teach me the defense as fast as possible. All right, good. Thank you. All right, thank you. There's PK with Trenton Carlson, linebacker. He's a transfer from Ventura Junior College, and we'll see where he fits in now as a third or fourth linebacker. But with Manny Bowen gone, gives him a chance. All right, when we come back, talking a little college football with Ron McBride. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join The Zone in ARUP Friday, August 9th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at ARUP 9786 South, 500 West in Sandy. Come save a life and donate some blood. It only takes 30 minutes and you'll receive a Megaplex gift card, popcorn voucher, and jazz gear. Time now to talk college football with Ron McBride, the former Utah and Weber State head coach, who's at Utah State with Gary Anderson today. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Mac, good morning. Good morning, David. How are you? Doing well this morning. Not as well as PK, but, you know, not half bad. What's up? I said I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm not doing as well as PK, but I'm not half bad. Yeah, PK. He's a, he he's signed a new contract or something. He's he's uh he's like a, he's, a, he's riding a high horse right now. <laughs> I am living large, coach. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm proud of you. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so you're up at Utah State, and they've got an odd situation there where the Aggies have a quarterback back that everyone is excited to see play, but they're going to have nine new starters on offense. You're an old offensive line coach. Uh, is that O-line going to come together? How's that progressing? <laughs> well, yesterday, yesterday they got their butt kicked pretty good by the defense, so it was uh, – it was kind of a kind of a mismatch, but uh, but they're you know they're they're uh, you know they're they're learning they're kind of you know progress one step at a time. But I think they'll, they'll be a good group before it's all over. Just they got a lot of young players in the offensive line, and um, they got one guy who's played considerably. The left tackle is is. Back and I think he'll be a good player, but the right tackle will be new, the right guard will be new, the center will be new, the left guard will be new. So yeah, he's got uh, T.J. Woods has a real job ahead of him. Uh, you know, you have to get eight guys that can play, and I think they have eight, but they, you know, but they're going to have to they have to bring them along pretty quickly. So Utah has some similar situation, not as drastic, but they do need to replace some guys along their offensive line, and they've got an experienced quarterback, too, coming back. How much can an experienced quarterback, if at all, make up for inexperience along the offensive line? Well, if you can't protect the passer, you got a problem. So, you know, uh, the thing up here, you just got to keep everything clean off the love and let him play football. And that's going to be the old line has to make sure that they're really good at, at particularly the wide pass rush. Their inside sets are good. They, you know, they got to be they got to be solid across the line and let let the quarterback play. And and uh, you know, just I was up at Utah's practice um, last week and really was impressed with everything they're doing. I, I think they're. I think they're they're going to be a tough out for anybody. I mean, they got they got the answers and they got players and they get, they're very fundamentally extremely sound. They possess the ball correctly. They they finish the, they finish the reps correctly. They, they their habits are very good. So that that team is is that team is a very good football team. And they they know how to practice. They know how to. I think Ludwig has really done a great job off with the offense because they really are very sound in their approach. Is Andy Ludwig the right match for Kyle Whittingham? Is he the guy Kyle needed all along? Yeah, oh yeah. I, boy, Andy fits Kyle's personality because Andy's a very, uh, you know, kind of a stoic kind of guy, and he's just a biz- all business, you know, and. and uh, He's a real film junkie. He's a he's a, a fundamentally sound football coach, and he understands how to fit the players to a system. And I tell you what, their 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 efficiency, I thought was was really good. Like the inside drill they had that one day. I mean, I think that I think the center has really improved a lot. I mean, they were hitting that inside drill really well, and they had the four running backs that were taking reps. I mean, they could hit it and get it, you know. I mean, they come out the 
back in and they're still going. They they finish their reps and uh, they just everything is sound, you know, just you know, the how they possess the football, how they finish the reps and, and that's all comes from Ludwig you know, making sure that here's what here's what I expect and obviously making sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. So Ludwig is talking about, and Tyler Huntley is talking about, getting the quarterback under center more as opposed to in the shotgun. Why would they do that, and what are the advantages there? Well, I think the, the reason, that, see, Andy likes, he likes the, the, uh, a little more of a power game and a running game, and he likes, the, he likes the boot, and he likes play action. And also they use, they'll, they'll use fly motion a lot, uh, and it's more, it's it's a little bit better when you're under center when you use the fly motion. That's what that's what you use Covey for is is the fly motion, you know, and and, uh, and force people to either rotate the secondary to to cover the fly guy or or run a guy through with them, which means that that you got a chance. Covey's got a chance. Or who's ever playing the slot has got a chance to make some huge plays in the run game. Ron McBride joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So you clearly listened to the shows because you knew that uh, PK was getting a new contract, so you picked that up on a show. Uh, when you hear the stuff we're talking about on in sports radio and the media, what are we missing about the local teams in the coming season? Well, I think uh, what you're missing is just just what you see, for instance, at Utah State, the defense is very sound. Their front, their front guys use their hands extremely well. They're real gap efficient, and they're very confident defensively. You know, I mean, they 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 really they play with a with a with a little bit of a swagger, and they're and they're uh, and they really believe in what they're doing and their their technique, especially the front guys are, are very good. And then the thing you miss with the with the and the offensive and defensive line at Utah is just the fact that you got you got you got some big athletic guys banging around and, and guys that can play. I mean, the front the Utah's front is in in Utah I added three or four guys to the front. They they got a defensive end that that's a true freshman from uh uh, Punahou High School in Hawaii. That that guy is a beast, and and he's he'll probably I I don't know for sure, but he'll probably get reps as a as a true freshman. I mean he's the he's a real deal. I mean he's a nice player. He it's physically he looks, you know, you see him coming to to, to the eat hall and he walks in. He say, Oh my God, who's that guy? You know. <laughs> Oh, that's that freshman kid from Punahou, and then you go out and watch him, and he's he's a he's a real deal. And, and the the um, uh, Johnny, the the kid who just came off his mission, kid from East High School. I tell you what, he took a rep in, in practice where he got beat on a on a protection, and he was able to adjust his feet and come back and make the block after he was already beat. And I, I think that he's got a chance 
he'll be a really big time player because he's got he's got really got balance. You know, he's got balance he can't teach, and he's tall and he's long and he's you know and he's gained about twenty five pounds since he came off his mission. He looks to me. I was really impressed with what I saw him do just in that one the one day, particularly in the one on ones and things like that. I I think he's going to be a really nice player. When it comes so to the NFL, thing, how good of a prospect is Jordan Love? Uh, I think really good. You know, I mean, he he's he's a, he's a system quarterback, which means he fits the system, and and he's very smooth in what he does. You know, the the biggest thing with them, I think, will be just that that the, the pass protection is probably huge, and then getting the receivers on the same page as the quarterback. And I think that's all things that have to be done during practice. Now they, the, uh, the tight end that transferred in here from Utah, I think that's a real chance to really help this team. And, uh, and the COC Mariner also, I think both of those guys add to what they're doing here. So, so yeah, it's a, uh, they're two different, you know. Utah is a lot more experienced, is an experienced football team with a lot of with a lot of guys returning that have played a lot of football. And then with the Aggies, you know, it's it's the the offense is is really young, and they they're going to have to they're going to have to come along very quickly. And uh, so, it probably a couple of their freshman kids will probably play some. I think they. The young man from East High School who's playing right tackle, I think he'll have to be counted on to do something as a freshman. Uh, so, so yeah, so they've 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 got you know in the teaching part of the game, they, I mean they've got they've got a lot of work to do on the offensive side to get everybody on the same page. How has Gary Anderson changed since he was there the first time? Uh, Gary's well. He, I think different circumstances because when when he came in here the first time, he had a whole rebuild to rebuild a program that hadn't had anyone in tradition for a number of years, and and, and to turn that all all around. I mean, that was a a work, very a work in progress. And then Wells kind of followed what Gary was doing, and it, and, it, and, it, and made some improvements on what he was doing, and and, uh, and then uh, they left him. So I think Gary is Gary's very happy here. Seems to be pretty relaxed and very efficient on what he's doing. He's probably not, maybe not as stressed, maybe as he was when he first came up here, when he first was the head coach, because he's probably more confident in what he's doing. Coach, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we will see you at games this year. Okay, David. You guys have a good day, all right? All right, we will. You too. Okay. All right. See you. There's the former Utah and Weber State football coach Ron McBride hanging out with Gary Anderson for the day at Utah State and all sorts of motorized vehicles behind him, carting stuff around. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, 
He's a national college football writer. He's based in Florida. And yet, he's got a very high opinion of the Utes. He'll explain next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time to talk a little college football. Matt Michelle joins us, national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lisa Nee Hansen, get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Matt, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. People in Utah might wonder why we'd have someone from Florida on to talk f- college football. And it's because, you know, the local homers always want the local teams to win. It's more interesting and more fun when they win. But when someone on the other side of the country says or writes something nice about them, it makes everybody's ears perk up. What do you like about the Utes? From Florida, what have you seen? What have you noticed? What do you like? Well, this is a program right now, you know, that you look at what they've been able to do over the last, you know, four or five years, uh, you know, and and they've been consistent ever since they've joined the the Pac-12. And I I think this year especially, you know, you look at what they return uh, offensively, they return eight starters, uh, you know, with Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss coming back. And and I think that's, that's a group that I think they can help you know, help them out offensively, maybe pick up a little bit where they, they lacked a little bit last year, especially in the passing game. Uh, they returned seven defensive starters, and, and this is a group right now that, you know, I think, is, as we know, is is going to be probably in contention in, in the Pac-12 this year, possibly even making a, a serious run at the Pac-12 title. I know they came off a South Division win last year, but, you know, this, this is a group I think that, can make a big statement and, and possibly make a push to get the Pac-12 into the uh, college football playoff. So it's a good news, bad news thing when it comes to Pac-12. You say about possibly getting the Pac-12 in the playoff, you know, and that's a big thing nationally because they haven't been in it in a while. Washington got in it a little bit, Oregon too. But, you know, it's sliding behind. And you see, so the way I view this is good news, bad news, because you have them as a potential but then they're also you only have them at twenty first, so they those those two don't kind of jive. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when you look at this, the Pac-12, I think there's going to be some challenges there. I think Washington obviously is a team that's probably going to, you know, make make another run like they've done over the last couple of years. I, I think you look at what, uh, you know, we, we saw Washington State what they've done over the, the, the past. Oregon is, is looks to be improving with Mario Cristobal. I, I think this is a conference as a whole that you're seeing the program starting to get, you know, to, to that elite level, starting to find their way in the top 25 more than we have over the last three or four years. I think the thing that's hurt the conference a little bit is the fact that these teams have been beating up on each other every year, you know, that whenever there's a team or two that stands out that you feel like maybe can make a serious run, you know, there's a game that they end up losing in, in conference play, and I think that's hurt them a little bit. I also think, you know, that, that when you talk about national perception, I think, you know, outside of, of the West Coast, there, there probably are a lot more focus is being paid towards the SEC and the Big Ten and possibly the ACC. So um, there may not be a, a, as much love given to the Pac-12. So this is a conference right now that has, as you mentioned, kind of a little bit of identity situation. They need to have some big wins to, to and, and get some big statement wins especially in their own conference against ranked teams, if they're going to make a push for that maybe possible playoff run. 
Do you view the Pac-12 as tough or stupid for playing non-conference games? Yeah, I, I think it's tough. I, I mean, I, I, listen, I, I think the way we're going in college football is schedules are going to become even more you know, important to everybody. They're going to have to be – you're going to have to add teams to your schedule to make that – you know, to make that serious run when we're talking about playoffs. And that is until the playoff possibly expands. If we, if the playoff expands in 2024, 2025, as some people think might happen, you know, then that maybe opens up to, to eight teams or six teams. Maybe then the conference champion gets in. But even then, I still believe the scheduling is going to be crucial. So I, I think when you look at a conference like the Pac-12 being in nine games, I don't think that's, that's stupid. I, I think, you know, you're going to see that more and more. The SEC gets asked that question year in, year out now. Why don't you go to nine? Why don't you do, you know, to try to, to help that conference get a little bit tougher? You know, I, I think you're seeing the non-conference scheduling getting tougher on a lot of these schools. They want to schedule more Power 5 opponents. They want to make sure that they've gotten, you know, uh, enough of, of value when you're look, being looked at uh, when it comes to getting a, a team possibly contending for a national title. You can't, the days of scheduling, you know, cupcakes and, and, and rolling over teams and, and trying to, you know, just win by as many points as you possibly can are, are kind of going out of the way. You know, I think you're seeing more and more teams trying to make sure they get the, the best situations in that, uh, you know, in their scheduling. And I, and I think a lot of athletic directors will say the same sort of thing when you look at their schedules. They're not scheduling some of those easy cupcake games as much as they used to. So I think the Pac-12 needs to be in unison. And what I mean by that is they need everybody to pull together and do well, whereas Clemson and Alabama, they don't really need anybody from the SEC or ACC to do anything. In very recent times, we haven't seen much from the ACC outside of Clemson, and SEC's a little tougher. But they stand on their own merits, whereas the Pac-12, we're talking about this earlier, I think that they need, right off the bat, they need Oregon to beat uh, Auburn. They need uh, either Stanford or SC to beat Notre Dame. They need ASU to go in to East Lansing and beat Michigan State. All that stuff is going to help Utah or whoever it might be. We're just using Utah as the local example here. And they need everybody to have success which makes it more difficult, and I want your response to this, because these other teams, and you could probably put Ohio State in there, doesn't necessarily need their conference to be all that good, and they can still get in. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that the Pac-12 definitely needs to have, you know, they need to help each other out. They need to get these kind of wins. You know, if you if Oregon beats Auburn in the opener, that's on a, a big type stage, a national television stage, I think that just helps inflate what the conference has been able to do. If you get USC to beat Notre Dame or Stanford beats Notre Dame or, you know, you start beating these top 10, top 15 type programs, especially consistently, I think then people start looking at the conference a little differently. And I think you also need some of these programs that have been powerhouses in the past to get back to where they're at. You're looking at USC, you're looking at UCLA. Uh, you know, Arizona State was was a power at one point. You know, they need those kind of programs to continue to rise up, and it's been it's been difficult because, you know, some of these programs just haven't been at that elite level like they've been in the past. So, winning some of those games early on, those big power games, will help them out a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think having a, a a strong conference championship, you know, going in will help them out as well. Um, you can't, you know, once you lose two two games, you're you're pretty much out of the mix, and I think then people kind of quit paying attention to you and what's going on, even though you might have had a, a great season. Um, so to me, yeah, I agree with you that the idea of really kind of helping elevate this, 
the, the image of the Pac-12 depends on these teams getting those upset wins, getting wins against quality opponents, because that's only going to help them in the long run. And I think these programs are on the rise. I mean, you're seeing, you know, again, you're seeing Chip Kelly coming at UCLA. Maybe he can get that program back to where it is. You're seeing Oregon with Mario getting back to where they were with Chip Kelly several years ago. You're seeing Washington, Washington State, Stanford, all those programs now are finding their way into that top 25. I think that's going to be crucial for this conference, especially moving forward. Matt Michelle joining us. He writes for the Orlando Sentinel, a national college football writer. You know, the Utes have built their identity running the football and playing great defense. There are people here who think they have got to open it up more if they want to get where they're going to go. And then I think you can also find some people who say, well, Washington, Alabama, and Clemson won conference titles last year, and they just defended like crazy. What do you think is the best path for a team like Utah to win a conference title and then maybe go beyond that to a playoff? Well, I think, I think the big, you know, you mentioned that. I think the defense is still uh, a strong point for a lot of these teams that win, you know, titles. I think that's going to always be their biggest strength for Utah. They, they have to play good defense. They also have to avoid mistakes and turnovers. You know, Utah, you know, turned the ball over a lot last year. And I think that's something, especially in inopportune times. And I think that's something that, you know, you, you, you can't do. Good teams find ways to be on the plus side when we're talking about turnover margins. And I think that's something that they have to do a little bit better job of. I think offensively, they run the football well, but they're going to need to continue to do that. And they need to get that next step at the quarterback level. I think the Pac-12 has built a reputation for being a solid quarterback league, you know, for being able to throw the ball around. Um, I think, you know, obviously there were some injuries last year, but I think if you can continue to, to you know, elevate that quarterback position, I think all those things together are going to help you out, especially when you're, you know, you're playing – uh, you know the Washington States, and, and you're playing Washington, and, and some of these other teams that maybe you know like to throw the ball a lot, a lot more and like to maybe you know put the score up as high as they can. So um, you're going to have to find a way to to kind of mix that all together. To me, like I said, they're, Utah's one of the more physical teams in in this conference. They need to continue to do that, but they've got to get a little bit better on offense, and they and they just got to take care of, uh, better care of the football. I think that's the thing that kind of hurt them last year. And 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 you say that, I mean, they still won nine games and still won the South. So um, I, again, these are all things I think that that are kind of uh, th- trademarks of Kyle, what Kyle Winningham has been able to do with that program. So, I mean, to me, I, I think they're in a, they're in a good spot going into this year. There's a couple games I think that they can flip, and I think they they can be right there again, back in the conference championship game. So you've handicapped the South. I think all of us agree with that. How about take a shot at the North? Well, I, I think it's going to come down to Washington and Oregon. I, I think those two teams are going to be at it. You know, Washington's got some question marks at quarterback. I mean, you know, they bring in some, you know, they're, they're going to have a guy like Jacob Eason possibly come in and take over, you know, and run the offense that looks like with them. Um, I think Oregon, to me, is interesting. You know, I think what, you know, bringing back Justin Herbert uh, at quarterback, I think it's huge for them. I think that kind of gets them a little bit of an edge, so to speak. They bring back practically everyone on the offense. Um, they're going to put some points up. You know, the, the question mark is defensively. Can they stop some guys? Um, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, they, they open up against Auburn. That's going to be a crucial game because if they lose to Auburn in that opener, you know, how does this team respond? Do they come back? You know, are they able to, you know, put that aside and, and move forward? You know, they still got some key games in, in the next, you know, in the next five or six weeks after that. So they can't get so distracted in the idea of beating Auburn that they let the whole season go, go to waste. So I think Washington and Auburn are going to be the two teams that are going to end up battling it out. I, I mean, you know, Washington and Oregon, excuse me. And I think Oregon, like I said, I mean, they've got an opportunity. If they beat Auburn early on, they can make a big statement and make it, maybe take the big push to, as being the team to beat in, in the North when we're looking at the Pac-12. 
Stanford has uh, won the North four times in the eight years since the conference went to 12 teams. Uh, but they've only won it once in the last three. Only once in the last three. Do you feel like they've slipped a little bit? Other teams have caught them and passed them by? Or do you think they're in the mix? Well, you know, yeah, I think they've, they've kind of slipped a little bit. You know, some of that is, you know, they've struggled running the football. They're, you know, they're normally known for being a program that, you know, runs as a strong running attack. Uh, people thought when Bryce Love was there that you know he was going to win a Heisman and they were you know going to be as dominant. But Bryce Love got banged up and hurt. You know last year that was one of their their things that really struggled with. They they were down at the bottom of the FBS and, and rushing, and that's just unusual for Stanford's team. Um, you know this year again, you know they they've only returned three starters on offense. KJ Costello, their quarterback, has got experience, but they got to replace a lot of pieces, especially on that offensive line. And I know that Stanford's known for developing tough lines on both offense and defense, but um, you know, it, it's going to take a little bit of a, of a time for adjustments. And their schedule isn't, you know, when you look at early on, it, it, it's really a brutal schedule. I mean, they open up against Northwestern, they're at USC and then at UCF, and then they play Oregon uh, in the first four weeks. So that's that's a really difficult schedule for them. If they survive that first four, you know, then I think maybe there's an opportunity maybe to make some noise. But um, based on what they have returning talent, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be in contention nearly as much. But that's to say – you know, David Shaw is a guy who always surprises people and finds good recruits and, and gets kids in there. So I don't think they're going to be down very long. It may just be another year or two, and they'll be right back in there with the Washingtons and the Oregons and the Washington States. So we've seen some of these lesser conferences do extreme things to get exposure. That would be, you know, Boise State. It seems like it rarely has a Saturday home game. They're either, if they're Saturday, they're 9 o'clock at night, Boise time, or they're playing on a Friday. Other conferences, the MAC playing on Tuesday, what have you. So now something has floated for the Pac-12, which is out of the box, and that is playing 9 o'clock local starts to get some more attention back where you are in Florida, back in the east. The east has all most of the folks in the time zones, right? So that has been met with some resistance from Pac-12 coaches because they got to get the players up at 4 or 5 in the morning, blah, blah, blah. Do you think they should give in and just recognize, hey, in order to compete with the big boys, being way out here, we're going to have to make some sacrifices, one of them being 9 o'clock, or stick to their guns and say, no, nope, we're going to do it our way? Well, I, I think that's definitely been a concern is, you know, the, is having your premier games on really late on the East Coast. And, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, maybe aren't paying attention to what's going on. It's hurt. I mean, I'll be honest. I think it's hurt the Pac-12 in, in regards to not just, you know, identifying teams to be contenders and, and then playoff games, but I think it's, it's hurt in cases of, you know, getting guys who possibly could make a serious run at the Heisman. I think you've got a lot of East Coast voters who are already in bed or already, you know, not paying attention to those games after 10 o'clock. I'm not sure if 9 a.m. Is, is, a, is a great deal. If I was a coach, I can understand why you'd be upset. I mean, it takes a lot of time to prepare to get your guys up and moving and get your team ready to go. I, and I think you'd hear a lot of pushback, not just from coaches, but from players as well, you know. Um, and even fans. I think, you know, they're, listen, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of fans who would love to start tailgating at 8 o'clock in the morning and start their, you know, taking part of libations at 8 o'clock in the morning. But I'm not sure if the fans are really that interested in doing that. Um, so you hope there'd be some sort of way to figure out maybe to kind of somewhere in the middle on this. But uh, it, it's definitely a concern. And when you start hearing conference commissioners talk about this kind of thing, when you hear Larry Scott talk about it or you hear it mentioned that this is a possible idea, then you know there's been some serious discussion on it. Now, whether they can get everyone to agree on the same page, that's going to come down to the school presidents and, and whether they feel it's feasible. I mean, again, 
this is this is a bold step for a conference that's definitely looking to kind of improve its image a little bit. Um, I'm just not sure if this is the way to go. If you kind of alienate your coaches and your and your fans and and you know your players, if that's going to help in the long run, I think there's got to be some sort of middle ground where maybe they can kind of come together and find a way to do this. But uh, I definitely believe that it's a concern and something they're seriously going to look at over the next couple of years. Matt Marcel joining us, National College football writer for the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, you know, people here love Utah football, and they show up in big numbers and go to games, and BYU draws big crowds too. But when you get to the playoffs and it's Clemson and Alabama again, people kind of shrug their shoulders. Is anybody going to derail that, or are we all going to be shrugging going, it's Clemson and Alabama again? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think I think Alabama and Clemson, you know, will probably be in the mix again. I know people kind of hate that, but I always kind of relate it to, you know, you remember back in the 80s, uh, you know, when the Lakers and the Boston Celtics were, were and made that, those big runs in the finals, you know, those were two teams that seemed to be in the finals every year, year in and year out in the 80s. Um, you know, those are two some great programs moving forward. I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now with Alabama-Clemson at this point. I still think there's some teams that can make a serious run at it. I think Oklahoma, I think Lincoln Riley's done a great job with Oklahoma uh, you know, over the last couple of years since taking over for Bob Stoops. They get another quarterback in, another transfer quarterback in Jalen Hurts. There's an opportunity there if their defense can get better. They can make maybe a possible run at it as well. I'm interested to know what Ohio State can do with Ryan Day. I think, you know, they bring in a new quarterback in Justin Fields. But Ryan Day is kind of a young, innovative mind that people have been kind of, you know, considering for a long time as a possible head coach somewhere. You know, if he can kind of keep things on track at Ohio State, maybe the Big Ten gets a team back into the playoff after a couple of years of absence. Um, and, then, and I think you're going to also see, you know, like I mentioned, maybe a, a team like Washington or Oregon try to make a run. Um, Notre Dame, you know, which was in the playoff last year, I think Notre Dame returns a lot of talent. Um, they can make a serious run. I think those are the teams right now that, that kind of have to make big statements to kind of showcase what they're doing. Alabama, Clemson are going to be there. But at some point, Someone's going to slip up, and there's got to be a team ready to step in there and do that. So those are my mind of the teams right now that have the best chance of maybe making a serious run at maybe dethroning one of those two teams. Matt, thanks for joining us. We appreciate a few minutes uh, for coming on and talking college football. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. There's Matt Merchel from the Orlando uh, from the Orlando paper talking about the Utes and PK as more and more teams recruit nationally and as the Utes get guys out of Florida and Texas. It can't hurt to have writers based in those states taking note of what they do and, and writing about them occasionally. Even if the kids don't find them, the assistant coaches do, and then they put them on social media and make sure the kids see that stuff. Yeah, I think if you're doing any form of a national responsibility you're going to know of the Utah football program. It's as simple as that. All right, when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are coming up next. Stay with us.